0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes. As Steve, we get to talk about two of your favorite people, John Kerry and E.J. Dion. I'm so pumped about this podcast. <laughs> sounds like
1: sounds like a good one. If anybody's still listening, sounds like a good one.
0: Actually, it sounds like a great beginning to a joke. You know, John Kerry and E.J. Dion <laughs> walk into a bar. You know, uh, so let's start with uh, the more gravitas-oriented uh, part of this, which is… Uh, no E.J. Dion? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, you've never you can say what you want, but E.J. Dion cannot windsurf, so I, he doesn't even get to the top here. I'm afraid. Fair, exactly. Um, so, what it, is the Assad regime a regime that must be overthrown? Is the Assad regime a regime that if they use uh, chemical weapons must be disbanded, or is the Assad regime the regime that the Obama administration plans to negotiate with? Could you please clarify for us?
1: I think yes is the answer to all three, <laughs> depending on when you <laughs> ask the question, right? I mean, that's what the administration said a couple of years ago. John Kerry was comparing uh, Bashar Assad, whom he, whom we dined with in 2009, a couple of years ago, he was comparing him to Saddam Hussein and Adolf Hitler, and now. He said uh, over the weekend that it's important that the United States negotiate with Assad about the future in Syria. Now, that's obviously contrary to administration stated policy, which has been now for two years, despite the fact that they're not doing anything about it, to remove Assad, or at least that Assad must go by some sort of undetermined actor. Uh, So Kerry really stepped in at Marie Harf, the deputy spokesman of the State Department, put out a tweet trying to clarify this, saying, you know, it's been our long-standing policy that, uh, that Assad must go, um, and pretending that Kerry basically didn't say exactly what it was that he said.
0: Well, I happen to know what the White House plan is to have Assad just go away without uh, the U.S. getting involved. Iron Man. He's going to fly in and grab him, and it's going to be gone. So <laughs> that's it. But I wanna, this, is, this is not the first time. I want to ask you honestly, is it the case that the uh, uh, team around President Obama doesn't know what they're doing and therefore they keep stumbling into themselves because of its, its incompetence? Or is it the case, and this is what I believe, that they know exactly what they're doing and they're just trying to lie about it? And when you lie, you end up, you know what I'm saying, you often stumble or uh, to keep your lies trip straight. trip over
1: yourself. Right.
0: I mean, there's some
1: evidence for the latter, right? President Obama, in the letter that he sent to Iran, Supreme Leader back in October, first reported by the Wall Street Journal, in a sense, made an overture to the Supreme Leader by saying, basically, hey, we're not looking to do anything to Assad. We're not pushing him out. We're not targeting security forces. You know, read between the lines, in effect, saying, we're saying he must go, but it's not the case that he must go, because, of course, Assad is a client of the Iranian regime. So our president, if the Wall Street Journal report is accurate, has provided these assurances to the Iranian regime. Um, what John Kerry said yesterday would be consistent with that. We don't have any plans to push Assad out. The president has mocked the idea of providing weapons to the moderate Syrian opposition, which you know, at one point existed. Today, I think, it's so badly corrupted and commingled with bad guys, uh, providing weapons would, would be foolish. But this is the problem with the administration. I think they're trying to have it sort of always on all of these issues, and it's just not working.
0: And that raises the question of negotiating with Iran. They can growl all so they want about this letter, but it seems to be self-evident that the Obama administration is going, you know, forward, uh, you know, like a bull in a china shop, just rushing towards something that they can call a deal. They don't even care what it is. It could be, you know, give us a dime and we'll send you ten Columbia records, and then you have to agree to buy six more in the next ten years. I mean, they just. They just <laughs> They just want something they can call a deal, and that's why they have to keep stumbling backwards and looking for uh, red herrings like the uh, uh, Tom Cotton letter.
1: Right. I think the administration is is who would like to make this an argument of a process, but in fact, I think it's quite clear now with uh, the benefit of hindsight that the Cotton Letter did exactly what it was supposed to have done, which is sort of smoke out the administration's longer plan. And after the Cotton Letter was released, what we've learned is that the administration did not consider this to be a legally binding deal, that they were not, in fact, going to take it to the U.S. Senate uh, in precisely the way that Cotton and the 46 other senators suggested and that the administration plan instead to take it to the U.S. Security Council. Well, this is a problem. We know a lot more now about what the administration plans to do and how it's negotiating than we did before the cotton. Work. And for that, I think we're all better off. Let's have a big open debate about this issue. But what I find so striking is the administration, its supporters, and others on the left who, for years, have said you know, dissent is patriotic. We need to have long debates about issues of war and peace. Are now the ones seeking to stifle debate by shutting down Tom Cotton by uh, telling people raising the issue of Iran and terrorism, that, that's not necessary to talk about. We don't need to talk about in the context of Iranian nukes. Let's have a big debate, and I think finally we're at the point where we're having that.
0: Uh, it was interesting. One of the uh, arguments that was made on the uh, Fox News panel the other day by the other Charles, not uh, Charles Krauthammer, was that this letter undermined uh, the chance for a bipartisan effort in the Senate to stop a bad deal because it heightened the partisanship and Democrats who might have been willing to join the Republicans to stop a bad deal are, have now decided, forget you, if you're going to send a mean old letter, I'm going to stick with my president. Uh, is that legitimate and is it uh, borne out by the facts thus far?
1: No, it's certainly not borne out by the facts thus far. I mean, perhaps these people who are making that argument to name one senator who's changed his or her mind you and can't, you can't get a name. Angus King the independent senator from Maine whose caucuses with Democrats had suggested that he was so put off by the letter that he's open to changing his mind, but he didn't say that he's changed his mind. So, no, I don't think that that, that was ever would to be the case. And one could make a sort of uh, an argument in, in a Machiavellian way that what it allows those Democrats to do is to oppose the president and to oppose the cotton letter, placing themselves sort of in between the two and, and saying, look, I'm, I'm pushing back on the cotton letter. I'm opposed to that. But I'm not with you on a, on a deal that would be in effect uh, a glide path for Iran for the Iranians to get a bomb. So no, I don't think that the letter has, has had the effect that many of its critics suggested. I think the opposite has been the true and the extent politics have changed, it may have changed in favor of uh, those who want to challenge the administration. Now I'll add one sort of footnote to that. I remain skeptical that there will in the end be this coalition of Republicans and Democrats willing to take on The White House. My view is, if Democrats, if if Republicans couldn't get enough Democrats willing to take on the White House on something like triggered sanctions, um, it's hard for me to imagine that they would be able to cobble together something, uh, you know, opposed to a broader deal, uh, or even opposed or or requiring uh, the White House to bring this to Congress. I could be wrong. I'd like to be wrong, uh, but I remain somewhat skeptical.
0: I'm one of those people, Steve, who believes no pub- all publicity is good publicity. There's no such thing as bad, pu- bad press. And, and if someone when in the media comes after you, it just highlights your stature. Unless, of course, that person is E.J. Dion, in which case I don't know that anyone would notice that he came after you. But uh, he d- does seem to have uh, uh, have taken an issue with a recent piece of yours in one of our podcasts.
1: It did. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting. So I, when I came to Washington D.C., I, I was in Columbia University's journalism program back in 1999. My national reporting trip, national political reporting class, took a trip down to Washington D.C. And one of the people that we met with was E.J. Dionne, and E.J. gave us what honestly, I mean, very good advice. I think, and I've tried to mostly live by it in the years since. And what he told us was. When, when you're challenging an argument on the opposing side of your own, try to always pick the strongest argument. Make, make, challenge the strongest argument, make your best argument, and let the best argument win. So I'm assuming that that's what EJ did in this piece. By taking me on, he saw this as the, the single best piece on the Iran letter and wanted to challenge me. That may <laughs> a, a little generous to myself. But um, no, what he argued was he basically the issue of, the trip that the three Baghdad Democrats took back in 2002, uh, opposing President Bush, opposing the war in Iraq, and I would argue propagandizing on behalf of Saddam's regime, knowingly in in at least one case. And uh, E.J. didn't understand how I could condemn that trip and at the same time support the cotton letter. And we've just posted a piece on our website giving him sort of more information uh, about why those two are not as irreconcilable as he thinks they are.
0: Well, a, a tidbit, a hint for our friends listening to the podcast. Yeah, sure. I mean, look,
1: I, I think I, I, to me that it, it's it's not it's comparing apples and oranges. I mean, what what you're talking about the the three Democrats did in 2002 was travel to Baghdad. We later found out uh, on the Iraqi regime's dime and propagandize against the U.S. president and for this rogue regime. What you have from these Republican senators is basically a civics lesson explaining the realities of the process and making the obvious point that if the president decides to proceed with a deal that's not agreed to by the Senate, the Senate won't be bound by that deal. Very basic common sense case made in public. I think this is exactly what members of the U.S. Senate should be doing. And the idea that that is somehow akin to traveling and and giving sort of Moral and propaganda support to a dictator is I think is silly on its
0: face. What jumps out at me is the glaring difference in circumstance. President Bush went to Congress and said, "I want you to authorize this military action. President Obama has either hinted or said outright, depending on how you look at it i 'm going to circumvent Congress so uh, Nancy Pelosi had her chance to speak, and Senator Kerry and Senator Clinton had their chance to speak and vote, which they did uh, before the the invasion of Iraq. If the senators, in the case of the Iranian deal, want to be heard, they've been left in a position by the administration, we're going to end run you and go straight to the UN, the chance to be heard had to be in you know, right. by communicating. Exactly. And the
1: trip that, that the three members of Congress took to Baghdad took place immediately before, I think it was something like 10 days before, the vote in Congress. So, uh, you know, they knew the vote was coming. Everybody understood what was happening. Congress was being asked and uh, they decided to make this trip anyway. I, I just really don't see uh, the comparison, he also got a number of other sort of basic facts wrong about, uh, about what I had argued in my piece, so I, I tried to gently correct
0: those facts. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have to make room for my shocked face now that something in the <laughs> Washington Post would be wrong. Well, uh, we love talking to you, Steve, and thanks for staying on top of this uh, bizarre scenario between Kerry, Iran, Obama, and E.J. Dionne. If anyone can, can circle that square, it's you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.